0: Welcome to the UIA Publications Podcast, an audio series presenting the latest titles of the UIA LexisNexis Publications Collection. By listening to our podcast, you will have the opportunity of discovering a collection of books that has its own identifiable editorial space and is different from everything that already exists today on the market of publications for legal practitioners. The collection, launched in 2017, focuses on emerging or innovative issues with an international dimension.
1: Good afternoon. I'm uh, delighted to have the opportunity of interviewing this afternoon Francisco Javier Garcia, who is uh, uh, a lawyer practicing in uh, Barcelona. He is, uh, well, as far as the UIA is concerned, most importantly, the president of the UIA Fashion Law Commission and a lawyer practicing with Uria Menendez Abogados in Barcelona. The reason or the opportunity is that Javier um, is the editor of book number 10 of the UIA LexisNexis publications collection which is being published October 2020 and the title of this book is Fashion Law Trends and New Challenges. Very exciting book, I must say. I'm not at all an expert in fashion law, and I've read it with enormous interest. And I must congratulate you, uh, Javier, because it's uh, very well edited, divided in four parts. Part one on IP and antitrust hot topics for the next decade in the world of fashion. Part two which is dedicated to employment law-related issues, and part three on fashion and sustainability, and part four on fashion as regards corporate and contractual issues. It's uh, quite a lengthy book. It's 187 pages written by uh, some 21 authors from... A number of different countries from Spain Belgium the United States United Kingdom Portugal Italy France and I must say very very excited to have the opportunity of interviewing you on the book Javier let me start with asking you um, rather than starting from the beginning I'd like to I'd like to ask you something about this chapter which in fact you are the author of on uh in the part three on fashion and sustainability. The fashion pact, what is this fashion pact?
0: Thank you very much, Carlo, and thank you very much, YA and LexisNexis, for the opportunity for me and for all the authors, it has been a great pleasure to to contribute in, in this in this book. So in, in response to your query, the Fashion Pact is a unique agreement in between the some of the key players in the fashion industry. That has no precedent. It's an agreement between, as I was saying, key players that have decided to uh, unilaterally agree on self-providing uh, with a legal framework uh, in order to achieve uh, certain milestones regarding sustainability and certain goals regarding how can they reduce the impact that fashion industry does have in, in the planet. And, and this, uh, this refers To the, to for us, for in order, just to point out one example, it could be to reduce the the amount of plastic that uh, ends up into the sea. And with this goal, they have agreed on certain practices, as for example, the reduction of of the use of plastics in the envelope and in the manufacture of their products. It's a very challenging path, which aims towards a very noble cause, which uh, affects all of us, which is sustainability.
1: This is wonderful. I noted that um, the Fashion Pact also identifies what are referred to as accelerators. Accelerators which accelerate uh, achieving uh, the commitments of the Pact and I see that these are circular economy, education and awareness, financing cross-sector collaborations and innovation. So I hope that the pact will become enforceable. It seems that uh, this is the objective, that it will be enforced because the companies who have signed it wish to enforce it.
0: Yes, and I completely agree. And this, these accelerators are triggers that aim to, how would I say this, They they aim to achieve these goals in a smaller time frame, you know, for example, it is key for the fashion industry to generate awareness amongst consumers, so that they know which companies are uh, are committed with the climate, what are the actions that should be taken, and also what can we do as consumers. You know, for example, it's not all, all only about fashion houses. If the consumers themselves claim for more sustainable products, there is go- the eco conscience and eco awareness. Would be a trigger of also for the rest of the industry. You know, if at the end, if you if consumers are demanding this, companies, uh, not even also companies outside the fashion part, would decide to to go for it. So it's a so it's 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 a key element. Also innovation. I mean, if we can uh, if we can in develop and implement new technologies that would help us to reduce the impact uh, of the fashion industry in the planet, that would of course accelerate the the, the process of achievement. A key element of the fashion pact is that many, it's the first time that there are united, what it is called as luxury fashion house. We have mm-hmm. the key elements here, but also we have uh, the, the what it is called the fast fashion industry. It's a industry that it is more based in issuing more collections than, than the fashion uh, than luxury goods at a different price, etc. that it is, we could say, more accessible to the general public and it is more while they consume, there are, fashion, there, are, there are fast fashion companies joining the, um, the fashion path, And this is a great news because it's not only about luxury houses, it's also about sportive companies, fast fashion companies. So it's uh, it's something that relates and affects to all the industry. And that's certainly good news. But it's not a thing. It's not a minority of companies. It's, uh, it's a very relevant number of companies. And the idea is that it will be, uh, a higher number that a higher number of companies will join in the in the few years to come. And one one thing that is also relevant that I spoken with uh, signatory companies of the Fashion pack is that despite the COVID-19 situation that has uh, seriously affected uh, all the fashion industry, as many other industries, they are still very committed. So it's not a trend. It's something that is that they take really seriously, and it's here to stay.
1: Wonderful. So, fashion pact, notwithstanding the COVID-19. Coming to another area covered by the law, let's uh, look at IP. IP is clearly um, very strictly related with the fashion industry because the fashion industry is operating in the digital digital economy. And uh, I see that there are various chapters on part three in particular. I was... uh, fascinated by Marita Dargalo and Marcela Hosen's uh, article on IP challenges for the fashion industry in the, digital, in the digital economy. Would you like to just touch shortly on which are these challenges or which are the main challenges?
0: Sure, Marita uh, and Marcela make a great effort identifying what are, what are these hot topics. And for example, they choose uh, artificial intelligence. When, who is going, this this is a vivid debate also in the field of patents, but also in the field of design. Who is the creator? Who is the designer of a a garment that has been uh, generated without any human intervention? It is the software engineer. It is the, it is nobody because it has, it has. It's a mixture of many, 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 many pieces that it takes from the internet or from whatever source. Is the fashion company that has licensed this software? Who is the owner? You know, and, and and that's a that's not an easy question that I have. That I, I sincerely consider that they have very well touched, and that is that now may start sounding like science fiction. In one or two latest three years, this is going to be a cutting edge topic because there are companies that have already started using artificial intelligence to start uh, designing uh, clothes. So this is a topic that it is not science fiction. It's going to be here very soon.
1: Gavin Lulin, uh from the UK uh, touches on luxury in consumer goods, the problem of online marketplaces. Seems that um, online is, uh, is um, quite a complex field for lawyers um uh everybody who have to deal with uh, digital consumers and businesses and the law <laughs> um what are the uh, the main challenges uh or the main trends because this book is on trends and challenges um as regards online
0: well uh online as, as you very well pointed out it it's it's a trend i mean it has been the salvation of many companies during COVID-19, and of course, is is here to stay. The online co- uh, the online sale of, of fashion goods is is growing, and it's going to keep on growing for for the next decade. The one of the ways to sell, of course, is when a fashion company can have its own website, but it can also participate in marketplaces. So marketplaces are not the enemy; far from that. It can be a good solution to sell your own products online and to go to a vast, uh, a wider market than your own website. However, there can be certain tensions when you have, amongst any, any, um, among other problems, Uh, a typical problem that is presented is when there is a fashion house, a luxury fashion house that wants to preserve its luxury aura, and it has its selective distribution network, and then it finds out that these, the products are sold on the internet on in the marketplace in particular without respecting their uh, hour of luxury so it is difficult to to chase these these conducts and and it is uh, because many times the company is not aware or or it's very expensive to to monitor these or to police these kind of situations or even it's uh, sometimes it's complex to to see or to control if on the marketplace they are uh, they are being commercialized original goods or its counterfeited goods so uh, marketplaces are a great opportunity but uh, if they are not properly regulated can also be a challenge for fashion houses uh, and this is one of the uh, and this is what Gavin has uh, addressed in, the, in in the top so of course online is going to increase in the next decade although it's very common nowadays who has not bought anything online but he also analyzes the the most recent case law on the European Court of Justice on online marketplace and selective distribution and, and he gives a very interesting standpoint about the the new trends and how to how to pretend, uh, how to protect trademarks and, and fashion houses on, on the internet
1: thank you for that um, another another area where artificial intelligence is playing a critical role is i see here the um the use of blockchain technology in the operation of fashion houses. This is a chapter by Stephanie Desmet. Would you like to comment on blockchain generally? How how does blockchain serve the purposes of fashion?
0: Yes, of course, blockchain is going to be a key tool in the future of, of fashion in order to prevent counterfeiting is this, this solution, this technology, this technological solution uh, properly implemented would be would be key in order to trace original goods and as well as to identify counterfeited goods. And this is, Stephanie is a great specialist in, in cutting edge technologies. He has already uh, analyzed this, this question for us in the YAs uh, a couple of years ago in Milano. Uh, he is very close to a European hackathon on blockchain and and in particular she was very close to a solution uh, on the distribution channel through blockchain so she she very well know what is going on and this that again again I am very conscious that this may sound like science fiction that this is not going to to happen I can say um, because we very well know that, that this is already happening maybe we don't see it because we don't see it on the sport, but this is happening. Background, you know, this is happening. Uh, this is happening behind the scenes, and this is only happening now, of course, in cutting-edge fashion houses and big uh, houses that are that have the uh, sufficient uh, investment and, and financial capacity to undertake this this investment. But it is going to get generalized as this technology gets cheaper and cheaper, because it's it's a key and very useful uh, technology. For, in order to protect counterfeiting, which, as you know, is one of the key problems of the, of the fashion industry.
1: Thank you, Javier. Another chapter that I read with um, great interest, because I'd never heard of it, I must admit, beforehand, is 3D printing, a chapter written by Giampaolo Todisco of Milan. Would you explain, in, if it is possible, in two words, what exactly is 3D printing and why is it relevant for fashion?
0: Sure. Three uh, D printing, also known as additive manufacturing, means that you can print whatever. It's a it it's a kind of technology that uses certain plastic uh, or or other components that are hard components that you can by using an, a special an, a special printer you can generate any shape that you have priorly generated by the computer. So you make the design and then you can make it true at your home, and you do not need to be a great craftsman. You know, like. To ask, for example, my grandmother, when she was, for example, doing a, a sweater or something that she devoted many hours, you just design it, then press the bottom print, and in like 10 minutes, you will have your own garment, but it is going to be perfectly fit for you because it's going to be with your exact, exact size. And it's not approximate size. No, no, you can design it at your exact size, the colors you want, the combination you want. The issue for three for the fashion industry is going to be okay I have my company I have designed it and then I print it. How can I avoid that this 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 copy that I sent to you you are going to distribute it outside and what happened if you uh, for example another example I, I send you a design of an a, a nice nice some nice trousers but then you decide with your own program that you change a little bit of shape okay then it's my garment it's yours, can you? Further exploit this. It's a very interesting debate, I and mean, 3D printer uh, is going to be in our houses really soon. You know, so we, we will we, we will get very used to this.
1: Okay, so this has to do with the trend towards so-called customization, I guess. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, going on in uh, reading this book, I I was uh, again um, amazed at reading about something that I hadn't heard about, which is platform to business, P P to B, P to B relations. And this is the digital single market regulation of 2019, which I understand that uh, only entered into force um, on the 12th of July, 2020. So it's very, very recent and the book comes out exactly in the right moment. And would you like to say a couple of words about um, this um, this P2B regulation, or at least what is P2B?
0: Sure, the, the platform regulation, it's, it's it's aligned with what we mentioned before on, on marketplace. Uh, the European Union legislator was aware that platforms are key for a small, medium, also big company, but especially for small and medium companies that they do not have power enough to create their strong, Uh, e-commerces and to to draw the attention of the general public etc and for this kind of uh, for these kind of companies big marketplaces are of essence in order to achieve global sales Uh, so marketplaces are a key tool for for economic development on the online industry this is this is out of the discussion this is out of question it is very clear the issue is that the European legislature also considered that the relationship was very unbalanced because it considered that the platforms had too much power in comparison with the small business uh, in the corner of Milano, you know? How can the small corner of Milano go to the big, big, big uh, platform based on the US or whatever else and say, no, no, I don't like your conditions. (laughs) You're You're going to respect my condition or this is too much for me. Is uh, a lot of commission, etc. etc. Et you know, so this platform regulation what pretends is to generate a, a little bit more of balance or a higher level of protection for these uh, kind of companies that are negotiating or that operate with business platforms.
1: I was most intrigued to read um, that the regulation, apart from dealing with fairness and transparency requirements, mm-hmm. also um, introduces. A, what looks like a, a sort of a dispute resolution and dispute resolution based on, on uh, mediation as far as I understand.
0: Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. And this is a, a, an excellent tool because otherwise the small and medium enterprise, what they would do is they or accept the decision or or it's very costly for them to have a voice. Sometimes they will be right. Sometimes they will not be, they will be wrong. But their voice was not uh, was not listened by anybody, you know. So they, what the what the regulation pretends to achieve is that at least they will have a voice and they will be heard by the they will be heard by the platform, mm-hmm. uh, so that they can solve this resolution in a sort of balanced way.
1: Lavinia Savini, in her chapter, deals with copyright protection for fashion creations. Is Copyright sufficient or is the legislation sufficient?
0: Well, La- Lavinia has, is, is she's, a, she's a real expert in, in the field of fashion and, and copyright and she has authored uh, several very interesting uh, and, and books and articles on this. And, and it's a very interesting question. You know, when uh, we all agree that uh, it, it's very clear and wide and known that uh, the fashion in fashion design by industrial design, but what about copyright? I mean, some people have, uh, or it's been always discussed if fashion is a kind of art, something that I really think. Of course, not all not all fashion garments can be protected by copyright, but if certain, certain elements are met, uh, the, it could be argued that, uh, and, and, and courts have so um, admitted, so uh, so in, in countries like Spain, France, or, or Italy, which are, as you very well know, um, very relevant uh, countries and uh, with a lot of history and about fashion and fashion protection. Copyright has, copy, copyrights have something to say. You know, when, when the garment has elements of uh, originality as well as being part of the author expression, it could be protected as if it was a, a sort of art piece, you know, and, and this is what Lavinia has very, uh, very well addressed in, in this chapter.
1: I see that uh, Marie Daphne Fischelsson, the paris based uh, employment lawyer, uh, has written a chapter on legal challenges in the labor field for fashion houses what, what are these uh, what are these challenges Yes, you know uh, here the issue is that
0: fashion houses are a very unique uh, and creativity boilerplate companies you know so here the issue is who is the owner of, of the designs? What is, is the designer? Is the company? Then also another matter is, okay, the designer is paid to design, of course. And what about if he makes a masterpiece, the, the so-called iconic garments? Should he or she get more paid with an extra bonus if the creation is farther than expected? What about models? The regulation of models is very different worldwide. You know, in some countries like in Italy, there is a... Down regulation in Spain will not have uh, uh, the same legal framework, so it's a very unique, uh, unique industry with the specificities and uh, that no other industry has. This is what Marie has has very well uh, addressed.
1: Part four of the um, the book covers corporate and commercial issues, and there's a variety of issues. What um, is the best choice of corporate uh, and and corporate transactions? the international sale of goods and the fashion sector. I see, you know, the issue of blockchain use, uh, use case for conformity use issues. There are issues relating to Incoterms 2020. There's a closing chapter by uh, the UIA President Jorge Marti on practical aspects of exclusive distribution in fashion. Would Would you... like to point to which are one or two or three of the prime issues in this uh, in this part four
0: sure this part is more uh focus on on the mercantile or corporate uh, field of of fashion because of course it's a ip based industry focused on sustainability with labor uh, issues but of course you need to say you know it's it's business (laughs) so uh, and also, it's very interesting. It's a global industry. Um, fashion house is global from the very beginning. You know, raw materials are not all from the same countries. The production sometimes is decentralized. Part of the production is in one country, another is in a different country. Then the distribution is, of course, global. You have the fashion houses have stores in Tokyo and in New York, Barcelona, uh, Sao Paulo, everywhere. Uh, also, the the fashion shows uh, you have Milano, you have New York. It's it's a global industry from all uh, from all its sides. We discuss no. about Incoterms because uh, they they change the Incoterms change this year. Uh, although many companies have not yet adapted, but as I was saying, for an international industry, this is key. Exclusive distribution that was addressed by Jorge Martí. It's also very. It's it's a key element. You know when if you want. If you have a luxury f- a fashion house, you have to select an exclusive distribution network in order to protect your hour of, of, of luxury. And, and this also has certain implications on, on antitrust, which is another, another aspect that we covered by our colleague, uh, Joanna White. And, and it's also essential in, in and it's going to, to play a key role in, in the next decade ahead.
1: Thank you, Javier. Well, um, as you will have, uh, appreciated from listening to the enormous variety of areas covered by this book uh, one can say that it is an extremely precious uh, reference book or manual it's a handbook almost for all lawyers who wish to become more acquainted in the field of fashion law i would i would say that it's of extreme interest both for practitioners specialized in fashion law but also, in-house counsel in fashion houses and as well as external counsel, possibly also students who wish to get interested, involved in the uh, world of fashion law. So, I must say, an exciting guide full of extremely new areas that need to be discovered and known by lawyers to keep abreast with today's issues relating to fashion. Javier, thank you ever so much for your time and dedication. This is a wonderful book, and I hope that with this uh, podcast, we will be tempting those who are listening to buy copies of it because it's really worth Thank you very much. Thank you.